Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Orson Welles, as recommended by Tyler Smith, and this week's episode, I'll be talking about his 1973 documentary, F for Fake, and of course, uh, wrapping up Orson Welles' month and the month of, what is it, May, with this film, um, and I have to admit, I'm a little bit sad because uh, so far of 2017, I think May has been my favorite one in terms of the filmmaker I've covered, the films that I have covered from said filmmaker, um, and just um, really, really kind of felt in a way, uh, for the first time I'd say probably this year, kind of felt like I was going back to film school a little bit, um, just in regards to this uh, this idea of, of exploring a filmmaker who history and consensus and critics and what have you have all kind of told me this guy is a master and is arguably um, the greatest filmmaker in American history. So kind of being able to explore that um, on somewhat obligatory terms in the sense of, you know, I was assigned something and had to do it kind of made me feel like I was going back to school for a little bit, um, especially considering um, that the first time I was exposed to Orson Welles was Citizen Kane, which I saw in film school, and it was one of those movies that I was told, hey, this is probably the greatest movie in, in American cinema history, and I thought, yeah, I'll be the judge of that because I'm an undergrad film student, and then I saw it and thought, oh, okay, uh, this was very much um, worth the hype or worth the weight, whatever you want to call it. It was very much like uh, lived up to the reputation of my mind. So to talk to Tyler and to kind of get a, more, uh, a clearer picture of who Orson Welles was, what kind of work he did was sort of like that rediscovering all over again, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I should also uh, address very quickly, I apologize for the quality of my voice um, and or if I have to take some uh, sneeze breaks. I am currently recovering from a cold, which is, of course, something that happens in late May and early June. Everybody gets cold. Everyone gets sick, right? Um, so that's happening to me. Despite um, the protestations of some of my coworkers, I do not believe it is allergies. I am not allergic to anything. Damn it. Um, I, it is a cold, and I am uh, currently on the tail end of it, but is still here and uh, not debilitating, but annoying enough where it is affecting everything I do. Um, and so I apologize if I sound a little bit more nasally and annoying than usual, which, uh, I know might be hard for some of you to believe that I could sound more annoying, but yet here we are, so, um, anyway, F for fake. The first, if I recall correctly, the first documentary I did, I have done, I have covered for I Do Movies Badly, and so much fun. Um, I had seen this movie before, but it was a long time ago, um, and really the only thing uh, that I remembered was it was all kind of about fakery, and, and, and this 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 sort of meta idea of, of making a, a movie that is that has fake elements um, about fakery, which is like all very clever and on the nose, I guess, and, and these days certainly we are swimming in movies which like to be meta and like to uh, kind of specifically, uh, whether it's um, superficially or uh, subtextually, which I'm not entirely sure subtextually is a word, but I used it and I'm guessing that you understand what I mean, uh, talking about film or at least, you know, um, 
sort of the, the this this idea uh, you know a, a film about film if it's not explicitly it's at least something that can be sort of uh, equated to um, the joys and delights of filmmaking which I think Orson Welles is very much trying to do here um, we have a lot of those movies now uh, you, you know it seems like you can't really spit without hitting one um, but it, it's great to see that kind of movie made by Orson Welles um, a you know for for two primary reasons one of which being that he is a he's a master filmmaker and so uh, he's he's uh, every decision that he makes when it comes to shooting and specifically editing which I'll get into a little bit is sort of um, hints towards a larger purpose or a reason for doing something I, I mean this is this is a, as I already said this is a, an auteur an author a master filmmaker and so to kind of see something that we've seen plenty of times before whether it's you know certainly this was done decades ago so everything we've seen has sort of been in the wake of F4 Fake um, but to kind of see it being done by one of the greatest filmmakers of all time is like okay there's going to be something unique and interesting about this documentary and certain there is so that's one thing but then it's also um one another reason why i found it absolutely fascinating a lot of fun is because i think f4 fake is um yes it's about fakery and forgeries and and sort of the 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 delight and, and questions that are raised from that but it, i think is also the um subtextually or subconsciously I don't those might even be wrong because there's a very explicit discussion about it or or references to it but um I think effort fake is also interesting because it's just a, it, it's as it speaks as much to the idea of critics and detractors and you know the the uselessness of experts um it speaks as much to that as it does um this superficial story of a faker who had written a biography of another faker which is of course clifford irving writing the writing the uh, the biography of elmir um which is how this film you know all started and it's actually interesting that a, a documentary about fakery actually didn't start as a documentary about fakery which is uh, or, or at least not at least not what it eventually became which i find kind of fascinating and sort of its own um creative uh, creatively developing misdirection way. Orson Welles was originally hired to uh, edit this documentary about Elmir, um, or, or at least you know. But then you know, through that, then you know, through Elmir, then it was you know, then they discovered the Clifford Irving character, who, who of course had written this uh, fake um, biography of Howard Hughes, and so then it's and then this whole thing kind of came out of it. Orson Welles got more involved. He started shooting more, and and, and just added um, layers and, and and other stories to it until eventually became what this piece is today, or what it was in 1973 when it initially came out. Um, but I want to start the discussion, I guess, by getting back to this idea of of one of the great things, or or one of those two points about why it's great that. Orson Welles is making this documentary in that one, the prong, the first prong of he is a master filmmaker, uh, and he is quite adept and skilled at certain filmmaking techniques, whether that be um, acting, such as stuff that we've seen in Chimes at Midnight or even The Stranger, or specifically the first thing I wanted to focus on was editing, um, because this is a film that is uh, very edited, and I don't say that in a, uh, a, a complaining or negative way, I, I mean it's obvious when you're watching it that it's it's got it's a very frenetic um editing style and there's there's a whole lot of cuts and from what i understand orson welles was editing this movie for a year and you you kind of see that because of not just how many cuts but how 
but like the mixed media, you know, stills with with images and just well, I don't know. I might as well just get in and start talking to it. But I talked in the episode on the stranger about um, Orson Welles having an understanding of the importance of editing and in that context it was he decided to shoot a lot of long takes and a lot of um you know uh single and and a lot of conversations happening in single takes as as a, a way to sort of have exert some kind of control over the editor and over the editing process and so because there are so many long takes um, not just, you know, super long, like that four minute conversation at the beginning, but, you know, conversations taking place in, uh, in more of a, a, a contained setup than just a master shot, shot, reverse shot sort of way that when that happens, you kind of get a sense then of, of the importance and significance of when the camera does, or, or the movie does cut to a different camera setup. It draws attention to the fact that, okay, pay attention. This is important now. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have F for Fake, in which it does have a incredibly frenetic, constantly you know cutting away style in the sense where you, you, I, I I don't know what the stat is on it, but it doesn't seem like it lingers on any shot for more than maybe three, four, five seconds at most, and you are very aware of the cutting and the editing, and that I think plays into this movie because what I, what I got the sense was. Um, that it, it sort of mimicked the not even manipulative um, air of the film, although um, let it let you know let's first confess it and admit to each other that like editing is a form of manipulation, you know the the way that you know whenever a filmmaker chooses to cut to a different scene or when uh, or when a conversation is cut, you know it it, it says, Editing goes a long way in kind of making you, forcing you to move along because the narrative is moving along. It can also force you to feel a different way. You know, it, it could be something as blatant as um, when a, a, a music track swells, which is a, a editing of a different kind, but also um, in a conversation when when, it, when a director chooses to, to cut from a, a conversation um, or in a conversation from an action to a reaction. If the camera lingers more on the reaction, doesn't cut back and forth so frenetically, there's a purpose behind that. There's there's kind of an investment in what you're seeing and what's taking place in, or what's transpiring between two people in, in something like a conversation. Um, so, so there is a, a, a form of manipulation to editing, or editing can be used as a tool of manipulation, which is certainly very interesting when it comes to a documentary about um, manipulating people and, and, and forging and, and faking things. Um, but the fact that there are so many cuts that this is such a kinetic style of editing um, kind of left me feeling very suspicious. And, you know, that seed may have been planted by the fact that, okay, I'm watching a movie called F for Fake and I'm being told outright um, that there are going to be lies um, in this movie, you know, or like Orson Welles says, uh, you know, the, from the next hour, everything you're going to be seeing is true, but I'm also hearing that, um, from the, the narrator of a, of a documentary once again called F4 Fake, so I'm immediately kind of suspicious based on that, but then the editing style sort of, I'm thinking back once again to, uh, The Stranger and to the sense of paranoia, and I'm kind of thinking of, like, cutting so frequently, cutting back and forth between action and reaction, I'm thinking of that opening sequence with Oya walking down the street and you're seeing all, like, all the guys react to her. Um, 
you're getting a bunch of different looks, you're getting a bunch of different reactions, and, and the, the thing that, that it kind of reminded me of was um, a shady film noir character always kind of like looking over his shoulder left and right, you know, never really having a, a, a focus ahead, but just kind of looking to the side and just and, and just sort of, I got the sense of, of distrust and of paranoia because I, I can't trust that the author that the director that the editor is going to stay on this one shot or this one story he's going to be cutting back and forth and so it doesn't allow me time to get settled and to get in a groove it's constantly moving back and forth so i kept i I got this sense of of shiftiness from it which i think is incredibly fascinating and very interesting once again when it comes to this idea of hey you shouldn't be trusting necessarily the kind of people that you're about to hear from or you shouldn't be necessarily trusting me as the narrator who is walking you through um, the story and a lot of people say um, it, it was a uh, you know maybe it was influenced influenced that's not a word influenced by you know the French New Wave and these uh, these you know seventy these seventies auteur filmmakers who were kind of rising up at this time and sort of who were very influenced by um, Dadaist movements and, and the French New Wave technique of filmmaking that kind of stuff so maybe that was where it was drawn from but I, I don't really necessarily care where it came from other than but because I'm more concerned and more focused on the effect that it had on me which was that distrustful kind of shifting nature uh, which I thought was very apropos of course um, and um, it, and it's getting back to I'm sorry I'm I, I'm probably not going to have very much of an organization in, in this in this conversation or but that's fine Um Getting back to this idea of how editing is a form of manipulation, uh, I, I think that Wells is upfront about that. Not that he says that you are going to be manipulated in this movie, but at least um, knowing you know the 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 character of Orson Wells, or at least knowing how uh, the kind of aura and, and, and or knowledge or prestige whatever you want to think about it, that he sort of had as this filmmaker of this craft and, and thinking once again that this guy is in control of everything he does and, and this is you know we are in the hands of a master here then I think he wants to trust the audience that it's like okay if I do a certain thing this is you know maybe you should start second guessing why I'm doing this or or, or maybe there's going to be more to this than than just what I'm showing you. And that's an incredibly vague and nonsensical comment, so I, I guess I'll try and ground it in a little bit of reality in the sense of um, there's a sequence in this movie in which um, it, it's it's shot and edited together in such a way in which it seems like Irving and Elmir are having a, a some type of conversation or one person is reacting to the other in the specific context of did Elmir ever sign his fake paintings? He, he claims that he never did, and then Clifford Irving, you know, cuts back and forth where, you know, you have a lot of shot a lot of shots of Elmir saying, I never did, I never did. But then you have some shots of what looked like to be him signing a painting, and Clifford Irving saying, like, he, he absolutely did. And it's edited together in such a way where you make it think of, or, or you might start thinking that they are in the same space together, or maybe even that one interview is uh, is being shot and recorded as a reaction. You're like, oh, well, he said this, what you, what's your response? That's how it plays on the screen. That's how it is edited together. Um, but there is no indication, from what I've read and understand, that that was how it was originally 
uh, conceived. But that's just how it comes across. That's how it plays on the screen. And I don't think it necessarily matters if that's how that sequence was conceived. But what I think matters is that Wells edited together in a sense of like, well, this is gonna how it, this is how it's gonna come across. That may be dishonest and that may mean that may be manipulative. But once again, I'm making a documentary about fakery, and I'm engaging in fakery myself. Um, I think that's a, a kind of, I don't even want to say it's a wink as much as um, we might be skeptical of that as a viewer. And he might be aware that we are skeptical of that, but he doesn't care because he's trying to raise that skepticism in us anyway. Um, I'm also thinking of... Um, the opening sequence in which Oya is walking down the street and being ogled by these uh, these different men. Um, there are claims that that sequence was shot for something else entirely and put in here. Um, there are claims that that is not actually Oya, that in, in some wide shots you see it, it is a different person. Um, I'm actually wondering, were any of those men actually ogling uh, Oya? Um, not in the sense of, I don't think that she's pretty and, and ogle-worthy. Ogle-worthy? Ogle-worthy? Um, it has nothing to do with, with a, a, a superficial response to her aesthetically. She was a very attractive woman, and also, I believe, at this time uh, of filming Wells' partner. But I'm just wondering, based uh, on the fact that we are watching a documentary about faking in which the author has um, told us that at some point we are going to be manipulated, or at least he has implied... Um, the next hour, I'm going to be entirely truthful, but this movie is more than an hour long. And also, once again, if you are telling me in a movie called F for Fake that you are going to be honest with me for the next hour, can I actually believe that you are going to be honest? But that's all to say, I, I'm actually wondering, was that actually kind of a social experiment? Uh, was that actually um, secretly filming a bunch of men as they were as as Oya was walking down the street or were these two entirely different sequences one of Oya walking down the street and just another separate thing of a bunch of men with these reactions um and was it edited together in such a way where it appears as though all these men are ogling Oya would it necessarily change the whatever you want to call it, meaning or significance or importance, whatever, of that sequence, if that's how it was, uh, if they were two separate parts that are put together. Like, no, not necessarily. But I think it, it just, once again, hits on this idea that um, this is a, a way of, of faking something, that, that if it elicits an emotion within you, because perhaps, you know, watching that, you think like, oh, these men are pigs, or oh my God, that woman is beautiful. I can totally understand. Would you be one of those kind of people who were ogling her? Or would you be more respectful? I don't really know. But that sequence is probably going to elicit something in you. And what's not important is, once again, how that sequence was conceived, but instead how it's constructed to elicit something within you. And I don't think Wells would have necessarily cared uh, what your feeling was based on, on what you're seeing as much as he would be concerned that you are feeling something because of how he constructed it. It, it could be entirely genuine. I'm not really sure, but I had just a thought in the back of my mind the entire time when I was watching it was like, was that actually how it was shot? Was that actually what was intended to be? Or is this once again just a filmmaker playing with us and and uh, and I think that uh Wells might have just been happy that I was thinking about that because this is what he's he's basically trying to do with this movie um uh and it is um it is fitting I think that a a, a film about fakers should be mired in fakery 
uh, both real and inferred. The real, of course, being that that a final 15, 20 minutes or so is a completely made-up story. Um, but then also I think it adds an extra layer to it when you research and consider that um, the, uh, the Orson Welles movie, the unfinished Orson Welles movie, The Other Side of the Wind, partial, part of the reason that it was held up was because Oya um, seemed to be in real life kind of a duplicitous, kind of manipulative. And when you think about that a- after you've watched this movie and you've seen her um, character or her actual person kind of not indulge, but but sort of, um, I, I, I don't know, just kind of seeing a manifestation of duplicitousness, uh, both fictionalized and then in real life, just kind of adds an extra kind of tragic layer to this movie, um, you know, and granted that's outside of the context of this movie, but it just, I don't know, there's something, I don't even want to say bittersweet, but something like, oh, maybe maybe even just plain bitter, like, oh, of course this woman's great at lying, because look at what she eventually did to Orson Welles, but, um, I don't know, and and it, and then, getting on to to this this second point about about why uh, this was so great uh, that Orson Welles made this movie was of course because um, similar to how Chimes of Midnight had a whole lot to say about uh, Welles's relationship with people in general, but kind of specifically if we look in like the the context of Hollywood and, and the movie making business. Um, Effer Fake has a lot to say about that uh, as well, within specifically within the context of sort of his uh, contentious relationships with with studios, with executives, with other um, crew members. You know these people who are quote unquote experts. Um, and Effer Fake, uh, you know, raises the question of what um, what good are the experts if they don't even know what is. Uh, in the art world, at least in the painting world, what is the fake and what is the authentic one? What authority do experts have if their opinion is essentially wrong or invalid? Um, which is an, an incredibly fascinating uh, thing to think about. I mean, I mean, of course, all of us can complain about critics as a, you know, or, well, I don't even want to make this specifically about critics. Um, but that certainly is one application of this question. Well, what good are critics um, you know, they don't do anything. You know, a critic may take a shit upon, um, let's say, I don't know, um, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice because it's a terrible movie. Um, but that movie still made a boatload of money. So what good is a critic? What what good is a uh, – or, or, you know, a, a studio executive may have chosen to chop the Magnificent Ambersons to pieces – um, but what you know? What good is that person as the expert is saying this shouldn't be in here and this shouldn't be in here? Um, when what they when what results is a not a great product, um, and and then and also the, I, I found it super fascinating that there was this question too of, um, well, is it art? Can a a fake and can a forgery uh, be art in amongst itself? Because. Um, now, granted, I don't know. I, do, I don't really know any of the painters that Elmir um, was. Uh, you know that they that they had mentioned that he was able to fake and sell a lot of money. I'm not familiar really at all with the art world when it comes to painting and visual arts like that. But I don't know. But as an outsider, I'm still kind of looking at this and kind of thinking like, well, if he was able to fool enough people, that still shows that he has a significant talent. Enough of a town where people say that this is so good, it has to be an original. 
this isn't just making a photocopy. This is still a guy painting this stuff. This is still a guy who has an ability to discern and hone and perfect a certain style. Many different styles from many different painters. Granted, yes, it's not his style, but he is able to imitate it perfectly. He, you know, he did not make the Picasso. And I, I don't recall if Picasso is actually one of the, the, the artists that he was able to sell a, a fake of. But... Yeah, he may not have made the Picasso, but he still made Picasso as good as Picasso made it. And actually, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, talking this out, it's actually, to a certain degree, kind of making me appreciate Brian De Palma a little bit more. I'm, I'm not the biggest Brian De Palma fan. There are certainly movies of his that I like. There are others uh, of his that everybody loves that I don't find to be that special. Um, but... I know De Palma always sort of got criticized for being for ripping off of Alfred Hitchcock, and I get that because Hitchcock did what he did and he did it great. But not everybody can do Hitchcock. Hitchcock was able to do Hitchcock, and Brian De Palma was able to do Hitchcock. But the biggest critique about it was that hey, you are not Hitchcock, you are Brian De Palma. But he was still able to do what Hitchcock did and do it very well, and. Whether or not you are morally or ethically opposed to that, you still have to admit, but that takes skill and that takes talent. So when it comes to duplication or imitation, we still have to concede the point that there's an art there. Um, and then, uh, of course, this is, so, this is a, a something, this is a something? This is something which could lead us down a, 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 uh, a rabbit hole for a much larger discussion. But I think, um, but I think there is some, still some validity to this idea of, 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 and there's a specific application of it, that there's still, I, I think you can say Elmira's stuff is still art. It's not his stuff, but it's still art that he is making even if it's not his um and, and and i mean and there is something to be said something admirable about the fact that um irving's book uh was such a good story was so convincing that even after howard hughes or i don't know it was it was it really howard hughes who was who was decrying this and, and denying this or was it just kind of someone else but anyway um let's just say, say for argument's sake that it was howard hughes the actual howard hughes who officially denied that he knew um clifford irving um irving's book was still such a good story and the signature was still so convincing all this all these fakes were so good there was such a quality to them that even after howard hughes denied that he knew clifford irving people were still not entirely inclined to believe Hughes so much of the fact that then they started thinking like, okay, well, if this is a lie, then who was it that lied to Irving rather than thinking outright, well, Irving is a liar and he is the faker. He told a story which was so good, which was of such a caliber that people started second guessing the deniers, which I find super fascinating uh really and then um in a, a a broader sense you know if we pull back and we don't just talk about um Elmer's paintings and forgeries being art but then we'd step back and just think of um film as an art form because film uh even a documentary film such as this one film is also an illusion i mean they're sorry to say this everyone but the avengers are not real 
Um, Superman is not real. Um, the characters that we see beaten and killed in horror films and action movies don't actually get hurt. They don't actually die. Yes, behind the scenes, some tragic things do happen with uh, with stunt uh, stunt actors, but um, you know. Ray Fiennes doesn't actually have, uh, uh, he actually does have a nose, and he doesn't have magical powers, and he was not disintegrated by Daniel Radcliffe. This is, this, these are obviously all illusions, but we, we give in to the illusion. We, we sort of, you know, in the words of Michael Caine from The Prestige, we want to be fooled, you know? We, we, we sort of, we come into the movie theater or, or to our TV sets or to our phones, however you want to watch it, and, we, and we, we bring that suspension of disbelief, you know? We want to be tricked we want to be lulled we want to we want to give in to this illusion um and i i think to a certain degree yes uh, being a great filmmaker is knowing how to manipulate people um you can certainly say that there are you know bad melodramas or romantic comedies or something which you know in which we think of manipulation in a bad way, you know, tugging at the heartstrings or, or kind of like really being sappy with the strings kind of um, swooping up at just the right moment. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about sitting in in the middle of a movie and, you know, the, the, we've all experienced it, those minutes or those seconds, however long it happens, where you just kind of forget for a moment that you're sitting in a theater or you're sitting on your couch or you're sitting next to someone or you forget the fact that work was shitty that day or you have to go and do this afterwards and you just kind of think oh my god what is going to happen to my protagonist or um i really hope something bad happens to that villain or um oh my god i am so heartbroken because of what i've just witnessed and and you've given yourself up to this what is essentially an illusion a trick something which is not real um but is being controlled and overseen and twisted at you know at the hands of what we hope is a is is someone who is firmly in control of their craft um everyone goes into a magic show or at least i hope we all do kind of accepting and recognizing like yes um magic isn't real that elephant isn't really going to disappear. Um, that person isn't really going to be sawed in half or have a sword put through them. But we kind of have this unspoken agreement that um, we're not going to investigate too much into how the sausage is made. You know, I don't want to know because I want to be fooled because I want to take delight in this illusion, in this trick. And in that sense, Orson Welles is a is a master magician, a master manipulator, a master trickster, because he can make a movie that has a 15 to 20 minute story at the end, uh, which is a complete fake, and we can still be enthralled by it and enraptured by it and caught up in what happened to Pablo Picasso and did he get his 22 paintings back? Um, and, and this is, this is, I would like to remind you a story which we are told twice at the beginning of the film and, the, and at the end of the film is a lie and yet we are still willing to give ourselves up to it. Now, part of that is unintentional because we are not told at the beginning of the film that the end of the film is going to be a lie. We are just told that the first hour is going to be truthful with the implication being that after an hour, it is no longer going to be truthful. 
And then the explicit one at the end where Orson Welles says, um, everything you just heard was a complete fabrication. We are told, whether implicitly or explicitly, that that story is going to be false. And yet the implicit one, we... I only say we choose to put that aside. We choose to ignore that because then what happens is we get caught up in this fantastic story of Clifford Irving and, and of Elmir and of, of this, 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 these questions of, um, well, what, it, what is it to be art and, and, and what, what hold or, or credence do experts really have when they can be fooled uh, and when they can be duped just like the rest of us? What, what is the purpose of an expert? We get caught up in that story and we forget about the warning at the beginning, that hey, something coming up is going to be false, and then we are told at the end, hey, by the way, this story you just heard, this great yarn, completely fabricated. But we don't say, oh shit, well then that makes it a bad story. I don't care anymore. This is terrible, and you know, no. What you think instead is you sort of have an appreciation, like holy crap, I was wrapped up in that, and and of course it, it's sort of like. <laughs> I was I was kind of thinking to myself this morning, like, okay, we have the concept of, of Chekhov's gun. Uh, was this sort of Chekhov's lie? I don't know. Like, we were told at, at some point that there was going to be a lie, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, okay, hey, sure enough, here it is. Um, but I think that's just kind of me being oversimplistic because I, I don't uh, I don't understand um, or, or I, fully the concept of Chekhov's gun and the implications that go into it. Um, but it, but I think that I mean. This documentary models so effectively um, any other narrative fiction film in which there are setups at the beginning and then there are payoffs at the end, which we have kind of forgotten about the payoffs we, because we, in theory and in hope, get so wrapped up in the story that's being told that we sort of forget what we were told until we have uh, the payoff at the end. Um, whether we were expecting it or not expecting it, doesn't diminish the fact that we were so caught up in it, and especially doesn't diminish the fact that what we just saw entirely was fake. Um, even documentaries are fake. You know, th this day and age when uh, true crime stories are all the rage on Netflix and where, uh, well, I can't, I can't even really say that documentaries are an all-time popularity. I suppose they are with stuff like The Jinx um, and stuff like The Keepers and Serial and Making a Murder. Um... Those things are, are riveting, absolutely, and we are told that they are true, but then there's also, getting back to this idea of how editing is manipulative, there's also, yes, there's stuff that we see, but there's also stuff that we don't see, which if we did see that, how would that change the story? How would that change our opinion? How would that change our perspective? So there is still, even in nonfiction documentary films, there is still this acknowledgement, this implicit acknowledgement that what you are seeing is not entirely the truth. Because if we did have a film that was entirely truth, we'd have Andy Warhol's, uh, you know, 10-hour movie about somebody sleeping or 25-hour movie about uh, the, the Empire State Building, which I don't give a shit about um, and don't know many people who do. Um, if you do, that's fine. I don't particularly care to get into a discussion about that. But, um, you know, this is all to say that Film is, is, is and I'm, I'm not breaking any ground here by saying this, that the film is, is its own form of, of trickery, of manipulation, of faking. And this was a documentary about that being told by one of the greatest fakers in American history. And it also just so happens that he is uh, doing that through the story of some of the greatest fakers in 
world history. It's a lot of fun, and and I think um, uh, there's the the Criterion uh, Collection essay for this was for F for Fake was written by Jonathan Rosenbaum, who, if memory serves, is uh, is one of David Bax's uh, favorite film critics. David, feel free to, to correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but I I believe he said something about really like him. Um, he had this great little quote that I kind of want to wrap this whole thing up with, which is. Um, the key to Wells' fakery here, as throughout his work, is his audience's imagination and the active collaboration it performs, most often unknowingly, with his own designs, the kind of unconscious or semi-conscious complicitly, complicity that magician and actors both rely on. So once again, it, it's just um, getting back to that idea of uh, there is this, uh, yeah, there's this complicity in like us wanting to be fooled, Actors rely on it, magicians rely on it, directors rely on it, um, and it just so happens, not just so happens, but it also comes into play here in this fabulous documentary about fakery being told by one of the, um, one of cinema's greatest fakers. Um, I was able to watch this movie, rent it on Amazon Prime, not Amazon Prime, because Prime means it's free. Amazon has this movie for rental or purchase if you want. It is also available for rental or purchase on iTunes. And, of course, similar to Chimes at Midnight, similar to so many of these movies that are in the Criterion Collection, if you have Filmstruck, you have access to F or Fake entirely for free, and I envy you. But um, that, uh, that does it for May, that does it for Orson Welles, that does it for F for Fake, and I'm sad about that because I really love Orson Welles' month. Uh, I, I have really enjoyed Orson Welles' film, and... Ever since I had that conversation with Tyler, ever since I saw The Stranger and did a bunch of research on it, I can't stop thinking about what would the definitive version of Orson Welles' The Stranger, what would that have looked like? And next time I watch The Magnificent Ambersons, I'm going to be thinking, what did Orson Welles' The Magnificent Ambersons, what would that have looked like? If I ever see The Other Side of the Wind, I'm going to wonder, what did, what did Orson Welles want The Other Side of the Wind to look like? Because this is a guy who was super fucking talented, who was in complete control of his craft. It was just a shame he wasn't in complete control of his films, which is sadly two different things. So, of course, this is the end of the month, which means that next week is a new month and a new theme and a new guest, and for once, I actually have that settled. Hooray! Um, very good friend, uh, well, friend of the show, um, very smart and wonderful and, and talented person. Kristen Sales is going to be coming back. Uh, to join me for a discussion on Jim Jarmish, whose uh, films are just as famous as his hair. Um, Kristen Sales was, of course, if you remember here uh, last year, to talk about uh, film noir films and specifically recommended some fantastic film noir films that were directed by women. Um, I'm super excited about it. You should be super excited about it because Kristen Sales is absolutely a wonderful person. And if you haven't already, uh, you should hop over to Battleship Pretension and listen to uh, the episode on which she was recently on it with David and Tyler talking about um, actors that people hate, um, and not necessarily because of their, uh, personalities, but because of certain, um, things about them as actors. It's absolutely fascinating, um, and you'll also start thinking about, uh, what are some of your biggest grammatical pet peeves. Um, mine, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, are people will say should of instead of should have. It is incorrect. Stop saying it. You sound like an idiot, but, um, speaking of following me on Twitter, that's Nolan Fixes Teeth. 
you can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Uh, follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash badly. Catch up on back episodes on uh, iTunes as well as battleshippretension.com. Go to podcasts and then drop down menu. Go to I Do Movies Badly and leave a message in the comment field uh, because I always try and respond to people who are leaving comments in the comment field because I check it regularly because I often get bored at work. So, um, but yeah, that's about it. That's, once again, all I have for Orson Welles, all I have for Effer Fake, all I have for May. So be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking with Kristen Sales about Jim Jarmish and well, hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.